Chapter Eight of the Heart of Philora by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: The Orns. Censorious persons, of whom there were a select few in the neighbourhood of Innisfield, annually criticised the Orns dooryard. There were too many flowers, they said, of too many varieties growing in the rounds and squares and crescents that Caleb Orne had pridefully laid out for his young wife back in the fifties. That sort of thing was well enough, they pointed out, when one had plenty of money and could afford the time necessary to the cultivation of a large flower garden. But as everybody knew, the Ornes had little to depend upon except the vegetables old Orne raised in the half-acre plot behind the house and the milk of the two cows pastured in the dwindling orchard. Grandma Orne, as people called the apple-cheeked old woman, owned a loom, and eked out the family livelihood by converting myriad balls of carpet-rags into sober, substantial breadths of floor-covering, justly esteemed by all thrifty housewives. Then there was Millie. It was Millie who worked among the flowers, rising often in the earliest flush of summer dawns, to weed and water and dig about the old-fashioned shrubs and perennials, which had grown and flourished and multiplied exceedingly since the day Grandfather Orne planted them there. Grandfather used to joke Milly about her gardening, declaring that she stole the fresh colour in her cheeks from the pinks and roses long before anybody was up to catch her at it. As for her eyes, no flowers de luce, larkspurs, bachelor's buttons or johnny jump-ups could show a prettier blue. He always ended, did Grandfather, with a chastening comparison of Milly's looks with the superlative charms of Grandmother in her younger days. There ain't no use talking, you can't hold a candle to your Grandma when I married her, the old man would chuckle gleefully. Tell you what, Grandma and me was one of the finest looking couples anywhere around, weren't we, Grandma? Oh, for all I'm so bent over and wrinkled up now, I was the tallest, straightest, best-looking chap you'd want to see. I'd my pick of all the girls. Tell you, you don't see no more like I was in them days. Ain't that so, Grandma? Clean as a whistle and strong. Say, I'll bet I could have lifted two of them little whippersnappers that comes buzzing round Millie here and throwed them clean over the barn. <laughs> yes, sir. Your grandpa wasn't no slouch of a man. But if the girl ventured ever so timidly to touch upon later family history, with questions concerning her father and mother, both of whom had died in her infancy, the old man would stamp away, pretending not to hear, his wrinkled old face drawn into folds and puckers of wrathful grief. I wouldn't pester grandpa no more if I was you, honey, counselled her grandmother soothingly. It makes him kind of crabbity and out of sorts to hark back to the time when you was little. You see, honey, your mother was all the child we had, so your grandpa naturally set a lot of store by her. And our Millie, well, she died when you was born. That's why I wouldn't ask grandpa no more questions about them days if I was you. Was my mother pretty like me? inquired little Milly innocently. Did you ever hear the like of that? commented Mrs. Orne rebukingly. Who said you was pretty, I'd like to know. You don't want to pay no attention to Grandpa when he's gassing about your looks. He can't see so very well without his specs. Most anybody would look pretty to him. Pretty is as pretty does, 
you want to remember that but yes you do favour our milly considerable she was a mite taller and her hair was some yellower than yours it come clear down to her knees a curling all the way my i remember how i used to comb it out for her out in the sun she liked it done that way her settin on one of the kitchen chairs under the apple tree and me a coaxing that beautiful soft shining hair through a big comb that i'd bought on purpose and a fine-tooth comb such as me and grandpa always used couldn't get down to her head nohow the old woman's faded eyes shone with sudden tears she wiped them stealthily on her gingham apron our milly was light-complected like you she added softly after a long pause and my father entreated little milly won't you tell me was he do i look like we want neither of us willing you should bear his name the old woman said stiffly me and grandpa adopted you right after our milly died you was a poor little wailing mite of a thing i never expected to raise you in them days now you run along honey and mind don't worry your grandpa no more like enough he'd get right up on his year and scold real hard if you was to try it so little milly had weeded her flowers and wiped the dishes for grandma and combed grandpa's thin grey hair with the fine tooth comb on a sunday afternoon while he dozed peacefully in his chair all under the luminous cloud of romantic mystery which in truth was no mystery at all but only one of those melancholy commonplaces people bury out of sight with their dead the short woeful story of the first millicent horn was no secret to many but few ever spoke of it except by way of whispered comment on the fresh young beauty of the girl who was growing into blooming womanhood under the guardianship of the two old people they hoped she wouldn't go the way of her mother and wondered in discreet whispers what had become of the handsome young stranger who had come to innisfield one summer to recover the health shattered by a long illness he had gone away in the autumn and the following spring millicent orne died that was all and even the most censorious could see no reason why little milly should know grief and shame had left their mark on the two old people but they bore the ever-recurrent smart of the old wound with patience and sometimes for thus benignantly do the passing years smooth and ameliorate mortal agonies they almost forgot the green mound once a gaping grave in the exquisite renaissance of milly quite simply and openly mrs orne cherished a single ambition for her granddaughter i want milly should get married she would say to grandfather as the two watched the girl flitting about among the flowers i want she should marry young it'll be a heap better for her at this straightforward avowal on the part of his wife grandfather orne would scowl and clear his throat querulously there ain't no young feller round these parts good enough for our milly he would declare obdurately i don't see why you talk the way you do mother milly's all right just as she is a living with us i don't want to part with her i ain't going to neither maybe grandpa was losing his memory reflected mrs orne her faded eyes fixed on vacancy she guessed it would be a blessing if he did 
Nonetheless, she began, when Milly was little more than sixteen, to set cunningly baited traps for the honest young farmers of the countryside. Spicy cakes, shining twists of molasses taffy or big fat crullers, suited to lusty young appetites and flanked by pictures of raspberry shrub or new cider, were always forthcoming when Milly had a bow. "'You can't never tell,' Grandma would murmur mysteriously, as she passed her granddaughter's admirers in keen-eyed review through a crack of the door. "'I'm going to keep my eye on him, and on her.' To Milly, uneasily conscious of the old lady's espionage, she would say, "'You can't be too particular, honey, when it comes to dealing with men folk. There ain't a girl alive that rightly understands em. But I'll tell you one thing,' lowering her voice and nodding her old wise head, don't you never let one of em kiss you, ne'er so much as lay a finger on you till you're engaged to be married and me and Grandpa has given our blessing. Now you mind what I say. Oh yes, I know there's plenty of foolish girls as'll tell you different, and like as not you think your Grandma's too old to know what's what. But I reckon men folks about the same as they was when I was young. Styles ain't changed much as far as they're concerned since Bible days. Of course, I wouldn't want to say anything against the patriarchs, but I should think they'd really hate to have accounts of some of their doings handed down from generation to generation, and nice women are reading of them in course, and having to skip chapters in Sunday school and all. But I want you should get married, Milly, and have a good, honest husband to take care of you when me and Grandpa is laid away. But at this... Milly would stop the old woman's mouth with one of the kisses forbidden to men, crying out that she didn't want any husband. Why should she when she was perfectly happy as she was? A sentiment loudly applauded by Grandfather, but over which Mrs. Orne shook her head dubiously. This ain't no kind of a world for a lone woman, was her disparaging opinion. Not that I think much of men, folks. Most of them's a pretty poor lot, from the patriarchs down. All but me, Grandpa would crow with a prodigious wink at Milly, a proceeding which invariably elicited a dignified reproof from Grandma to the effect that no real gentleman ever opened and shut one eye that away. And say what one would, a conceited uppity man was enough to make a body wish to die single. Milly Orne was eighteen when the daffodils came into bloom. Grandmother couldn't bear the sight of a daffodil, and by that token she was prettier than ever as Mrs. Pettibone had observed. Yet she was neither safely married nor even engaged, a fact which Mrs. Orne took sadly to heart. But when the old lady cited the warning prophecy concerning woods and crooked sticks with pungent comments of her own, the girl put her pretty head on one side, her eyes scattering blue sparkles of mirth. They're all crooked sticks, Grandma, she laughed. And when I've come quite through the wood, I'll see a fairy prince riding towards me, and then... For God's sake, don't say that, Milly! cried Mrs. Orne shrilly. All the colour dropped out of her old face, leaving it grey and twisted and gaunt, like a dead tree in the wind. Don't... don't say it! Oh, I guess maybe I ain't feeling so well this morning. Get me a swallow of tea, honey, and don't say nothing to Grandpa. She still sat bowed over, shivering a little and murmuring to herself when the girl brought her the cup of hot tea she had hastened to prepare. "'You didn't mean it, did you, honey?' she asked, 
raising herself to peer into the girl's face. "'Mean what? What did I say to worry you, Grandma?' entreated Milly. "'I didn't mean... Oh, about the... You ain't met no strange man lately, have you? Somebody me and Grandpa don't know. I'm kind of feared of strangers, honey.' The girl soothed her with tears and laughter and denials, and presently, when the steady thump, thump, thump of the loom proclaimed the old woman's restored equanimity, she stole away on pretense of carrying flowers to the minister's wife. End of chapter 8